stream. We are dreamed into existence. What we do with that dream is up to us. This is Stream. I am Jessica Deruta, and I share with you my stream of consciousness. You may find Stream on my blog at trustpsyche.com and on my YouTube channel, Jessica Deruta. Please take what serves you and leave the rest. Let us begin. How we dream is as important as what we dream, for the what of the dream knows itself through the how. Stream is a place to talk about the things that I love the most in my work. Astrology, psychology, and how to live the most meaningful lives we have with the little time that we have here. Today, I wanna talk about family patterns in astrology or what I call transgenerational aspect patterns. It's essentially a genealogy map of our family lineage, of our ancestors. And as we go into that, I wanna share something that's also been coming through strong for me lately which is so often I find myself and the people that I work with wanting to cure ourselves of being human. What do I mean by that? I want to cure myself of being human. For me, that means there's still some part of me Deep, deep down, I think it's a, a conditioned thought form that has been put in place by many, many, many different humans having this thought and desire to get rid of my pain my experience of loss and my fear. To be human is to have pain, is to experience loss, is to know fear. Confusion, despair, not being able to see clearly at all times, to feel out of control, to feel humbled by life. To be human is to have a body. That's one of our defining characteristics. When we incarnate into this third dimension of space-time, we have a body our souls inhabit this body, this organism that was created by our mother and our father between the sperm and the egg that then was fertilized and grew 
inside of our mother's belly in her womb. And she gave us her blood, her bone mass, and all the ingredients that we needed to form our muscles and our skin, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our nose. And during that time of our physiological creation inside of our mother, we also were given the neural patterns in our brain and in our nervous system that allows us to register sensation and emotion. And so in that space of our mother's womb, when we were undifferentiated beings with her, we also shared a deep emotional space. As one of my friends said to me, uh, who gave birth a couple years ago, that when she was pregnant, what she realized was that she could no longer have private thoughts and feelings, that she felt completely exposed to the being inside of her, and in that way exposed to God, that, that essentially her insides became her outsides. And you hear this a lot when mothers give birth, that they say it's like their heart is walking around outside of them, or their insides have come to their outsides and that it's the most exhilarating and exciting feeling, but also the most horrifying and terrifying feeling because it's so extremely vulnerable. And so what I'm most interested in in my work is shifting this narrative and deep belief system that informs our thoughts, behaviors, and actions from ones of wanting to cure ourselves of being human to caring for ourselves as being human, which means to care for our bodies, to care for our emotions, to care for our relationships, and to care for our pain, loss, and fear. That these aren't things we're trying to get rid of, that these aren't things that go away once we heal or once we figure out or solve our problems, or that one day when we become spiritually evolved enough or psychologically mature, that pain, loss, and fear, despair, and confusion, those more challenging or sometimes called bad emotions, go away. Because in my experience, and both as being a human and working with my clients in psychotherapy and from my mentors and teachers in these fields, those things never go away. And so how do we begin to learn to live with these more challenging aspects of being human? How do we begin to care? And this is where I really like the work of my friend and colleague, Michelle Hobart, uh, and her work around becoming sacred space. And Michelle is many things, but she's a spiritual emergence coach. Uh, she went to the California Institute of Integral Studies, where she's now interning as a marriage family therapist and working with couples and individuals. Uh, but she also has a lot of really beautiful um, 
understanding and lived practices with the physical and non-physical realm. So Michelle is also um, an Akashic Record reader and an amazing energy worker. And I've gotten the privilege to spend a lot of time with her. She used to be my neighbor, lived in a, a cottage down the road from me. And we would uh, trade sessions and do research together. And Michelle brought a lot of things into my life. But one thing that she brought in was a deeper, helping me facilitate a deeper relationship to my intuitive knowing and the non-physical realms. And really helped me begin to feel into and understand more what does it mean to become sacred space. Especially within the healing arts realm. Um, this is really an important topic for me, which I want to dedicate a stream to at some point. But this becoming sacred space has a lot to do with what does it mean to care for ourselves and what does it mean to love ourselves as human beings with these bodies that not only have these challenging and difficult emotions, but also often find ourselves in you know, complex and messy relationships. And part of what it means to be human and to experience these things is the flip side of that is we also get to experience great joy and felt intimacy, a deep sense of connection, which often brings a sense of love and meaning and purpose into our lives. And so what I want to do today is to expand our sense of self as individual beings with our individual pain and suffering or our individual um, virtues and gifts and really remember that not only are we deeply interconnected to every living being on this planet in the physical realm, but that we're also deeply connected to every being in the non-physical realm. And part of the way that we can see this web of connection is through family patterns in astrology. Now, next week is uh, the UAC conference. Um, I think it's the United Astrology Conference. It happens every four years. And next week it's taking place in Chicago. And I was going to be giving this uh, talk presentation called The Genetics of Astrology, The Repeating Archetypal Themes in Our Family System and Their Purpose. And the description of my talk said this, Encoded in our birth charts, like DNA, are planetary aspects we inherited from our parents. The genetics of astrology, seen in transgenerational aspect patterns, passed from one generation to the next, allows us to trace our karmic lineages and understand the purpose of the gifts and challenges we receive from our ancestors. Astrology permits conscious evolution of the karmic torches we bear, 
by illuminating where we incarnate in the chain of the unfolding great story. Now I've decided not to go to UAC and present for many different reasons, but I still really want to be able to talk about these family patterns in astrology or the genetics of astrology as I called it here. Because I think that it's something that is not only very illuminating, but ultimately when we really take it in, I think it is potentially quite liberating for us. Because what it ends up doing is that it shows us that we are not alone in carrying our particular challenges or problems that we have in our life. And that really we can see our virtues and struggles or our gifts and challenges in our birth charts in the archetypal combinations or complexes that we are working with this lifetime. And we can track, we can see how we inherited those particular archetypal signatures from our family of origin. And then that goes back generations and generations. So I wanna bring in one other term here and define it for us, which is um, transgenerational epigenetics. Uh, so transgenerational epigenetics is an inheritance um, is an epigenetic inheritance, is the transmission of information from one generation of an organism to the next that affects the traits of the offspring without alteration of the primary structure of DNA, in other words, epigenetically. So I think on the one hand, we can think of this kind of epigenetic inheritance coming from our parents through the archetypal signatures that we get from our mother and our father and our grandparents and so on. Um, there's many different ways to begin to recognize these archetypal signatures. There's no one set prescription. At least this is what I found in my last decade of research in studying family systems and family patterns in astrology um, through my clients' charts. So I can't tell you, okay, look for this. This is the one way that you're going to discover this. But what I can say is that if we just begin with a basic understanding that we are looking at patterns. I mean, that's what astrology is, right? We're looking at patterns, but that when we allow ourselves to let those patterns be revealed because we trust that they're there, that they're an inherent part of the structure of um, reality and our, and in this case, our karmic um, inheritance and lineage, that uh, we begin to see the unique archetypal patterns and signatures of our family. So, for example, um, quite often what we see is certain planetary combinations that we're born with, uh, we inherited specifically from our parents. So there's this exercise that I had my students do um, when I teach my embodying astrology in an archetypal cosmos course. And that is 
to look at each one of your parents' charts, your mother and your father. Um, I'm, I'm talking here in, in two regards. So I'm talking specifically um, your biological mother and father, um, whether or not they raised you. We see this happening. And this also seems that it can be applied to if someone else raised you, even though you're not biologically, you may not be biologically connected, you will still see um, shared archetypal signatures. And that's because um, for whatever reasons that what's happening on the orchestrated level there is that um, there's a shared morphic field of that particular um, essence. So, you know, uh, Sun, Mercury, Venus, Pluto, Jupiter, Neptune. So you, you can see it both with your biological caregivers and if, if they didn't raise you, whoever um, did raise you. So what I have my students do is look at each one of their parents' charts and um, look at one shared planetary aspect with the mother and one shared planetary aspect with the father. And in doing that, reflect and journal on the gifts and challenges that you've inherited from this shared aspect and how your soul is evolving these aspects through this lifetime. Because that's also uh, a key part of this, right? Is that we pick up a torch in our lineage and the work that we do and the way that we live our lives helps evolve these aspects. And then we go on and pass them on. If we go to have children or, you know, we, we, uh, our children inherit those signatures from us. And so one question I like for us to hold as we do this is thinking about how transgenerational aspect aspect patterns that we share with our family of origin, what are their implications for human evolution and psychological self-knowledge? So let me bring this down to earth a little bit and give an example of how we might go in with this first exercise of seeing shared planetary combinations. Um, now, I'm going to give a personal example here, and then I'm going to give an example of a client that I worked with. Um, it, uh, one shared planetary um, aspect that I inherited from my father was Jupiter, Mars, Uranus. So my dad has um, Jupiter, Mars, opposite Uranus. And I have Jupiter, Mars conjunct square Uranus. So we're looking at the same three planets. And the only difference is one's in opposition and one's a square. We can also glean some information from that when we begin to apply Dane Rudyard's understanding of the lunation cycle, which can be applied to every planetary combination where we get a different understanding of what the conjunction is, the first waxing square, the opposition, and the waning square. But for now, I'm just going to focus on the planetary combinations. So uh, the Jupiter-Mars-Uranus combination has a lot to do with 
a, a big sense of the, the adventure spirit. Um, particularly Marjoranis is the risk taker, the gambler, the one who puts it all on the line and kind of gives it all up to see what's going to happen, takes a huge risk. And with Jupiter in there, there's often a huge leap of faith. Um, Jupiter has a lot to do with faith and that Mars impulse to jump. And Uranus is the ability to be very open to the adventure and to the surprise. Um, And Jupiter Mars has a lot to do with luck and things kind of suddenly, unexpectedly working out for, you know, um, the better, or at least being a very kind of mm, optimistic, positive, expansive um, attitude. And also because of that deep sense of faith and a constant experience of things just happening to work out with the Mars courage coming in, um, that often means that the Jupiter Mars Uranus person not only has an attitude that things are going to work out, but things often do work out, I think in part because of the uh, mode of consciousness that's brought into reality, into those experiences, there's like a certain level of constellating um, fortune and blessings um, in very unexpected ways. And the thrill actually comes from not knowing how things are going to turn out and the excitement of seeing what's going to happen after that leap of faith is taken and just putting it all on the line. Um, There's also can be uh, with the Jupiter Mars energy, a sense of um, going out and like conquering something, Um, you know, going to the top of the Jupiterian mountain and vigorously climbing it. And when you get there, um, there's the Uranian revelation and insight and epiphanic consciousness that kind of creates a sense of um, not only excitement and euphoria, but a download um, where there's this kind of lightning flash of insight and revelation um, that really makes the journey feel very worthwhile. Um, and it often feels like it's <clears throat> filled with lots of synchronicity um, that also feels like there's this sense of blessings raining down from the above to the below. And uh, again, just this like ecstatic sense of revelation that feels very expansive and fruitful. So, you know, returning back to the risk-taking quality of it and how my father and I share this and how I inherited this these qualities from him was my dad was born in Lebanon and he grew up during the time of the civil war there. And my father uh, drove an ambulance for a little bit in the civil war. And he was one of eight children and he was close to the youngest. And there Uh, I don't know if it was when the Civil War ended or near the end of the Civil War. My dad just kind of on a whim 
really impulsively, which is really common for this combination, decided to um, apply with the government who was offering full-ride scholarships to go study uh, in America and come back and help rebuild the country. So my dad um, heard about this and thought, okay, well, I might as well do this. And he did it. And two weeks later, he was on a plane to the United States and flying to the or to Iowa State University uh, to study mechanical engineering, which is where he met my mom. Uh, she was the first person that uh, he met when he went to check in. And my mom knew, knows Spanish. She's fluent in Spanish. She knows a little bit of French. And my dad, um, you know, he's half French, half Moroccan. And so he knew a little bit of French. And they somehow began to communicate with each other with the, you know, small means that they had. And my mom showed my dad around and helped him out. And one thing led to another. And, you know, a little over a year later, they decided to conceive me. So my dad was absolutely shocked that he got this scholarship to come here. And it just obviously radically changed his entire life. And out of the eight kids, my dad is the only one that left Lebanon in uh, northern Lebanon in Tripoli, where my family's from. And my family, I, I went to Lebanon in 2010. My family is very established there. The Kabaras are... Um, very well known. My grandfather, I believe, owned a shipping yard and a lot of different, um, like little grocery stores. And so, you know, the Kabar family is a very established family there. And my father, being the only one that left, decided to completely put everything on the line and go for something. And he had no idea when he made that choice what he was doing, what he was going for. But he just went with it and made it work. And he gambled. And I think he thinks the gamble paid off. Um, I know that obviously his quality of life has been in a lot of ways much higher here. Uh, he's remarried now uh, to Rasha, very lovely woman. And they have three kids and my two brothers and sister. And it's incredible. What, what happened from that moment. And I definitely can see how I carry that same spirit in me reflected in the Jupiter Mars Uranus. So much of my life has been defined by putting everything on the line, taking a huge risk and gamble and just going for it. And I don't want to call it a blind faith because it's not blind. It's not blind. It's, I'm, it's unknown what's going to happen. But the reason it's not blind is because my experience has shown me again and again that when I'm guided to deepen my bones, intuitively knowing to put everything on the line, that that's what I got to do. And every single time, it's worked out in the sense that it brought me to exactly where I needed to go, meet the people I needed to meet. And every time my life jumps, has a kind of Jupiter-Uranus quantum leap, jumping into the next level of 
consciousness. And I'm not going to say it's not scary, because it is. But when the universe says jump, I know better than to say no. And sometimes I resist it, <laughs> but I've also discovered that the, the sooner I do it and the less I resist, the better. But that's true for me as a one part of my being because of the way that I am constitutionally built this lifetime through the archetypal signature of Jupiter Mars Uranus, which I inherited from my father. So that's an example of how we can begin to see this energy. And if my dad hadn't left Lebanon, you know, whether or not I would be born, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be born, my, my soul might still be here, it's highly likely, but I wouldn't be Jessica in my soul um, interfacing with this particular body, with this particular organism and genetic makeup. And I wouldn't have the combination of my mother and my father together. Now, I want to transition into another example where I can get a little bit more into a case study, not so personal, um, that I had with a client that I did a reading for. Now, toward um, the second half of my career as an astrologer giving readings, I started to ask people for the birth information of their family of anyone they wanted to give me so I could start to see the patterns within the family system. And one client sticks out for me in particular because um, he came to me, he was um, in his late 20s, and he um, was gay and had uh, shared this mm, in his early 20s with his family. So, you know, relatively hadn't been that long. And he particularly was um, coming to me because he wanted to be in intimate romantic relationship, but was very scared of what happened to him um, emotionally and psychologically every time that that would go to happen. And what um, we talked about in the session was he had um, Venus-Pluto in conjunction in the fourth house. And what was, he was very developed um, in terms of being an artist. And he was very developed in having a lot of empathy and compassion for friends and family but when he got attached in romantic relationship where there was a sexual component he would often find himself in a pretty young and terrified place where he wasn't able to um feel or act like an adult and you know what he considered to be to not be mature in the relationship and would become absolutely flooded 
with not only some of those kind of classic Venus Pluto qualities of just being like possessed by jealousy and envy, but also um, Pluto was showing up as a really powerful force of repression around his sexuality that he didn't really even know how to engage sexually with the other. And so there often wasn't a lot of um, deep, intimate sexual contact happening with the partner. And this would also cause a lot of um, shame and discomfort. And so Pluto was really showing up in this case with shame around sexuality, specifically in romantic relationship. And what we looked at was that his father also had Venus Pluto in um, hard aspect. And his father um, had never developed his own sexuality and was very repressed around showing any level of affection whatsoever to anybody, including his mother. So he never saw them kiss or hug or anything like that. There was no physical intimacy that he witnessed and, and probably most likely wasn't really happening much either behind closed doors, according to my client, which I think he was um, right in saying that um, for my sense of, of what he presented. And not only that, but the father was also um, undeveloped artistically. I think when the father was in high school, he was in a band and there was a strong um, calling toward playing music. And that got completely shut down once he had to start making money for the family. And he went completely into putting all of his energy into his job, which he hated. It was a job that, um, you know, it was like an insurance job where it wasn't really using any of his um, artistic, creative, musical abilities or wasn't even doing that thing that you do in a band, which is, you know, collaborate and listen deeply to one another to create beautiful rhythms and harmonies and melodies. And so this aspect of Pluto had come in as a very powerful repression um, energy that really had become destructive in this family. And the father had shut down um, emotionally and physically. And so his son inherited that karma of really not being able to um, feel like <clears throat> comfortable in showing up in intimacy in, in a sexual way. And my client was also exploring music in a little bit of a different way around um, DJing and what he realized was that the more he allowed himself to actually fully explore his musical interests and abilities, um, the more that that also opened up him wanting to explore his sexual connections with his partners. And so part of the reason why I share this story is that when in that session, when my client realized that he, this part of himself that it was so painful for him and really humiliating, shameful 
was something that wasn't necessarily his fault or even his to hold on his own, that it was something that he chose on a higher level of his being before he incarnated into this realm to come into a family and to have a father who also had Venus, Pluto, and that archetypal signature and that repression around sexuality and that my client, through his own awareness and healing that he had done before even coming to the session with me and then through our session of using this map of astrology in this way, this genealogical map um, of astrology, that he felt the honor and significance of him healing in himself and taking the opportunity to work on his own sexual healing and his own creative healing in partnership. And of course, we talked about a lot of different um, tools to do that and practical ways to do that and how he can get further support around doing that, right? So to move it beyond just the intellectual awareness to actually engaged embodied practices, how he could go into psychotherapy to work on that, how important it was to maybe to be in couples counseling, how you could go and do different um, workshops around sexual healing, how it was very important that he feels safe with his partner and that this was a dialogue that he and his partner would have at the beginning of the relationship to talk about these issues. And I think that that session changed the way that I understood transgenerational aspect patterns because it didn't make the problem go away. Right? The pain is still there. The shame is still there. But it gave my client absolute courage and empowerment to go and carry this torch, this karmic torch, and to help heal inside of himself this thing that came from his father, which probably came from his father, and so on. How many generations back do we have to go before a man in that lineage felt safe and empowered to express himself creatively, artistically, and sexually. And that my client had the opportunity to be the first in his, in a very long time of his lineage, the first generation to open those things up and how that not only is healing for my client, but how that ripples out and becomes healing for his father and for the lineage going backwards and forward for the long line of people going backwards and forwards because when we do that karmic healing work it's it ends up not being linear right it's healing that happens in time and in space but that ends up transcending space and time so that's one example of how we can begin to see the way that we inherit the karma, and how there's a shared morphic field of a certain archetypal energy. And that when we are become conscious of that, psychologically and astrologically, it has the potential to resource us, to empower us, to go into that struggle and that suffering more fully and to do our best to begin to change and heal the way 
that that energy has been coming through, particularly when it's been coming through in a way that feels destructive or oppressive or limiting to our soul's growth and full expression in this life. Okay, so I've said a lot for today. I think I'm going to stop the stream here for now. Um, thank you so much again for being here with me. And if you feel called to like the video down below or leave a friendly comment, I would love to hear from you. And if you'd like to share this with anyone where you think it would be helpful for them to hear it. All blessings to you in being human. This is Stream. And I am Jessica DeRuzzo. Mm.